Sebastian, will you turn up mic number two for me? Behold him, robed in majesty, crowned with strength and glory, holy is our King. Behold him, though the waters rage, breakers bow before him, tides rush to obey. Behold him, robed in majesty, crowned with strength and glory, Holy is our King. Behold Him, though the waters rage, breakers bow before Him, tides rush to obey. He reigns, when oceans roar, He reigns above the storm, enthroned on high, the Lord Almighty reigns. Behold Him, stronger than the seas, God from everlasting just in his decrees. Behold him worthy of our trust, faithful to his promise ever here. The city, it's so good to be here with you this morning. I uh, am excited. I'm excited. You know why? Because today is the day that the Lord has made for us to come and rejoice in His presence. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, if you have been here with us over the last couple of weeks, then you know, as Pastor Mike mentioned, that we have been going over the book of Galatians. And if you haven't gotten a chance to study the book, I highly recommend it. You're going to be encouraged. You can also go back and listen to the recordings uh, that we have from the previous sermons. And I just want to, I think it's fitting for me to sort of like give you like a snapshot of what um, the book of Galatians is, is about. As we know, the book of Galatians was written by Paul, um, and he wrote it as a letter to the churches in Galatia. <clears throat> and uh, he did this because Paul is so passionate about keeping, keeping the purity of the gospel. He's so concerned about maintaining the purity of the gospel. You will, uh, real quick, you will realize as you read the letter of Galatians, that Paul uh, shows his frustration because now there is a false gospel creeping in, right? People are starting to preach something that it's different from what he has preached before to them. Some people, false teachers, are saying, if you are really a Christian, if you really have right standing with God, then you will accept circumcision. 
In other words, what they're saying is, here is what we're preaching. There is Jesus plus something else equals right standing with God. And what we're saying here, what Paul is saying, is actually that, no, that's the wrong message. The right message is Jesus plus anything is not. Sorry, I got confused because I saw the screen. Here is the false message. Jesus plus anything is a false gospel. I know that previously Mike used a different gospel, but I'm going as far as to say, uh, no, it's actually, well, yes, but it's actually a false gospel. It has no power to save. And this, as I was uh, diving into the text, sounded very familiar to me. Let me know if you've heard this before. Here, uh, the false teachers are saying, if you are a Christian, then you will be circumcised. Now we hear things like, if you are a Christian, you're not going to drink alcohol. If you are a Christian, then behave like a Christian. You ready for this one? If you are a Christian, then you must vote like this. Does that sound familiar to us? Yeah. So, in my experience, I actually uh, was raised in a Christian home, mostly by tradition, where I was taught from an early age that in order for me to be saved, then I must, then I must go to church every single Sunday, speak in tongues, dress with a button-up shirt and a tie, right? Like all these rules, so that I could be saved. And the consequences of that for me were that I ended up walking away from the faith. This is why Paul is so intentional about addressing the issue here, because he knows that reducing the gospel to simply religious rule following is not only dangerous, but it's costly. He wants us to make sure that we understand that it is for freedom that Christ set us free. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. So, as we go through the chapter, as we dive in, I want us to consider this question. If Christ has truly set us free, then why go back to the law? Why go back back to justification by works? Trying to justify who we are by works. My hope this morning, my aim is that we would be able to see the real gospel freedom enables us to be free to become what we already are in Christ. So let's pray. Father, this morning we come with humble hearts before you, asking that your Holy Spirit would move among us. I pray that my words would be few, so that you would speak through your word to our hearts. Help us treasure Jesus. 
And we pray that you would continue to captivate our hearts, that we would be able to live into the identity that we already have in Christ. We pray that you would open our eyes to see your majesty. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, we're going to start looking at what the law is. In my brain, it's really helpful for me to start defining what I'm actually talking about. And if we're talking about the slavery to the law, then we must understand what the law is. And as many of you guys probably know, we get the law from the Hebrew word Torah. And I don't know about you, but for me, when I think of Torah, I automatically think Ten Commandments, great, got it. But in reality, there's actually 613 commands. And they were given to Israel within the five first books of the Bible. That's the Torah. That's what we know as the Torah. And we see that in the beginning, God created, but his creation actually rebelled against him. But then God moved on and, and decided to choose Abraham to bless the nations through his family. But then we see that they actually end up becoming slaves in Egypt. And so then we get to see how God rescues them. And then God decides to make a covenant with his people where he says, I am your God, you are my people. Here are the terms of this covenant. And we get the Ten Commandments, right? And then from there we see the pattern of God giving commands, his people deciding to rebel and break those commands, and then God moving back to work and save them, give them more commands, and they continue to break them. This is where we get uh, the commands of circumcision, or where we get the command for keeping the Sabbath, where we get... Uh, the dietary restrictions with the kosher law, right? This is where we get them. So you see, now that we are able to identify what we're talking about with the law, we're going to read what Paul says in verse uh, 2 and 3. And he says, Look, I, Paul, say to you, that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again, every man who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You see, what Paul is addressing here is the issue that the Galatians were not asking the following passages or verses. He says, you were running well. Well, at this moment, he's addressing the fact that they're not. They're actually not running in the truth. They were being actually bombarded with this false message of, Slavery that was covered as good news. Like this is how you receive right standing with God. But you see, this message was Jesus plus something else equals right standing. Salvation. And the problem is that these false teachers were actually convincing the Galatians that in order to be secure, in order to secure the right standing with God, then they had to, they had to accept circumcision. And Paul is insisting that if you submit to even one practice of the law, then now you are obligated to carry out the fulfillment of all of it. This means that 
as we review, there's the pattern, we automatically stand condemned. And I think of, I was chatting with my uh, family, my uh, mother and father-in-law and my brothers and sister-in-law yesterday, and we were chatting a little bit about this, and I had a, originally an, an analogy uh, of uh, just imagine you're driving a car, and so I tell them, and then my brother-in-law said, oh yeah, just like what happened to me with my driver's license test. And so the analogy was, imagine that you're heading home, and then you're driving your car, and you do every single stop that you need to make. And then you follow all the rules, you go speed limit all the way, but then right before you get home, you're actually speeding, and then you get pulled over. And now imagine yourself trying to justify yourself before the, the police officer saying, hey, no, but you don't understand, I actually followed everything else, it was just this one time. If he is just, he's going to say, well, this time, this one time is enough for the weight of the law to fall upon you because you broke the law, all of it. And this is what um, Paul is talking about here. I was diving into a uh, commentary book um, by David Platt. I don't know if you guys know who David Platt is. He's part of Acts 29, and he's a, a preacher, a pastor. He's an author as well, and he uh, had something that I thought was really helpful to understand what we're talking about here, Uh, this uh, four results uh, of this false gospel, believing this false gospel, and this is what he says, number one, he says this, when we accept this false gospel, then we view Christ as insufficient. You see, when we try to receive salvation, this right standing before God by our own achievements, we believe that Christ simply didn't do enough. That there's something else that we need to do in order to secure that. This is why Paul in verse 2 says, then Christ is of no value to you. The second point that he brings, he says, When we accept this false gospel, we must obey all of the law. If obeying the law is our only system of salvation, we will never be saved. We can't measure up. We can't meet those standards of righteousness by our own self-sufficiency. Number three, when we accept this false gospel, we are turning away from grace. You see, turning away from grace means that you're being cut off from Christ. In other words, this is just like spiritual decapitation. You're being cut off from the head of the body, which is Christ. And then the last one, he says this. When we accept this false gospel, then there is no hope of future glory. You see, in verse 5, Paul is talking about this, waiting for this hope of, of righteousness. And when we talk about hope, biblical hope is not what we normally think that hope is. It's not just wishful thinking that, oh, well, we, we hope, we wish for this. It's more like, no. Here is something that you can be certain of. There is certainty within our hope of righteousness. And we all 
um, have the opportunity to live into that reality because of Christ. We can live into the reality that we have of hope in right, of, of the hope of righteousness that we have because we have a guaranteed glorification. But if you believe this false gospel, then what Paul is saying that there's then no future hope of righteousness. Can you see why Paul is so passionate about addressing what is actually going on in the churches of Galatia? Can you feel the weight? Martin Luther says this, when a person on board ship falls into the sea and is drowned, it makes absolutely no difference from which end or side of the ship he falls into the water. Those who fall from grace perish no matter how they go about it. Those who seek to be justified by the law are fallen from grace and are in grave danger of eternal death again. Believing this false gospel is not only dangerous, but it's costly. And here, Paul is so serious about this issue that he's saying... Hey, you know those false teachers that are actually teaching about circumcision to you? Well, you know what? I wish they wouldn't just stop there. I wish they would emasculate themselves. <laughs> right? Like, whoa, that's intense. But he's being intense because look at what we're addressing here. I think it's a matter of life or death. And now... Um, I think it's interesting how a lot of people that I talk to, especially sometimes in seminary circles, would say, oh, well, look at Paul and justification by grace alone. Oh, well, look at James, and he's uh, talking about works, right? Like faith without works is death. And normally they like to put him against each other, but that's absolutely not the case. In fact, here we can clearly see how Paul and James are actually affirming the same, thing, the same thing, if we go back to James uh, 2.10, he says, For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has now become guilty of all of it. And now you might say, well, Sebastian, we know, obviously we know that salvation is by grace alone. We all know this. But let's look at this. Mike used this last week and I thought it was so helpful. Because I saw myself in more than one, and actually all of them. <laughs> so we say, there's job righteousness, right? Family righteousness, theological, intellectual, schedule, flexibility, mercy, legalistic righteousness. This is what we're talking about here this morning. We also have financial and political righteousness. I was talking to Mike, actually, before the sermon, and I was telling Mike, you know what? This whole week, I've been stressing, and I've been anxious, because I feel like like I have to perform. I feel like the church is going to look at me, and, and they're going to base their opinions on what they, how they feel about me, based on how well I can do. And then I saw myself, oh, it's not there, but hey, uh, preaching righteousness much? <laughs> right? Like, we're, we're, we're all there, right? Even though we know that we're saved by grace, we live as if we weren't. Friends, if Christ 
If Christ came to die for us, then surely his mission was not to establish a religion of rule following. This is why Paul is so concerned about this false gospel. Because he knows that circumcision, even though it's just one ritual, distorts the whole gospel. You see, reducing the gospel to religious rule following typically plays in two ways. At least I see it this way. One way is we become self-righteous and we look down to others who are not doing as well as we think we are doing. Then on the other side, the either or, right, then we have people who live in shame because they simply cannot measure up to God's standards of righteousness. And therefore, and therefore, They become helpless and restless and they walk away. Both of this, both of this make us slaves under the law. We feel we carry the whole weight of the law. Are we feeling that weight on our shoulders this morning? Because I know that I am. And hear me out, I think it's important to mention that what Paul is addressing here is not that the law is a bad thing. I feel like I remember at some point in my life thinking, oh, well, then the law is terrible. Why would I? But it's not. That's not what Paul is talking about here. The law is actually a good thing. This is why in Romans 3.31 he says, Paul we Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? And then he says, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. The law is something good. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson is a professor, theologian, uh, author, great guy, has a great book called The Whole Christ. I don't know. If you have heard of it, I highly recommend it to you. In his book, he says something that I think is actually really helpful. And he says this. Legalism, what we're talking about here, is multidimensional and multilayered. It takes many forms and has many faces. Its presenting symptoms can be hard to diagnose, analyze, and treat. It can prove to be almost intractable. The essence of legalism, as we have seen, is a hard distortion of the graciousness of God and of the God of grace. For that reason, as now becomes clear, legalism is necessarily not only a distortion of the gospel, but in its fundamental character, it is also a distortion of the law. So let's be clear here. The problem is not the law. Do you feel the weight of it? Well, here are good news. Paul says, it is for freedom that Christ has 
set you free. In other words, in the original Greek, it's just for freedom, Christ freed you. There it is. So now we're going to see what that looks like. You see, when we talk about freedom, I believe that we all have a concept of what we think freedom actually is. And I think that this is heavily influenced by our cultural context. So you see, we live in a culture that teaches us that the very, the most important aspect of your life is your freedom. To be free. Hmm. The typical, you do you. Be free to be yourself. And my worry is that this concept of freedom is rooted in the belief that we're free to do whatever we want and do it however we want to and do it whenever we want to. And you see, yes, we have, I want to make sure that I explain this, we have a civil freedom, right? The freedom of speech that we all have. Freedom of religion. We have different freedom that's civil, right? That's not what Paul is talking about here. We also have a carnal freedom, which is the notion of, hey, you get to do whatever you want. And a lot of the times we hear it in the expression of sometimes, my body, my choice. We hear that often. You see, the true freedom, the notion of true freedom that we get is neither of those things. Last, this past week, so what I do for a job, I work at a university and I talk to students all day long, college students, all day long. And I was talking to some of them uh, that are freshmen this year, and we were chatting and I was just making conversation, asking them, hey, how is your semester going? You know, how are you adjusting? And I asked, hey, what has been your favorite part of being in college now? And so I was expecting to hear my classes are fantastic. Or, you know, right? <laughs> or, oh, you know, the friendships, the community. And some of them actually just said, the fact that my parents are not here. I don't have someone telling me what to do anymore. I, I'm free. I get to do what I want. Right? We have that concept of freedom. But friends, let's not make this mistake because that kind of freedom is cheap freedom. The Bible actually gives us real freedom. And this freedom is actually to be who God made us to be. To live into the reality that we are free to become who we already are in Christ. It is to live as a son of God. Live fully into the reality of sonship. We have been adopted and now we belong to God's family. We have a guaranteed in Christ because he lived the life that we obviously couldn't live. And he suffered on our behalf. 
he went to the cross and died the death that we for sure deserve. And now with, it is because of his blood that our freedom has been bought. We are free to become who we are already in Christ. Galatians 4, 3-7 says this. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law, weakened by the flesh. I'm sorry, I lost my, um, my place. Here we are. But born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but you are a son. You see, it is... Because the spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in us. That we can live fully into the reality of gospel freedom. We are free to love God the way that he calls us to love him. And we are free to love each other the way that he calls us to love each other. You see, because if we have faith in him, we are no longer have to worry about earning an approval. We don't have to be busy wasting our time and energy, making sure that we can earn a right stand before God. This is what Paul means in verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. In Christ, nothing that you do counts for anything when it comes to your right standing before God. But only faith working through love. We do have real freedom, not cheap freedom. And we know this because there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit friends Jesus is the one who fulfills the requirement of the law in us and we have now the ability to, as Peter, in First Peter says, to live as people who are free, not using our freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. We have been free from slavery to the law, but also we have been freed for service in love to one Another, I'm going to jump here, and I know that Mike is preaching on this uh, next Sunday, and I'm sure he's going to unpack it a lot more, but I just want to touch on this because I think it's important. In verse 13, Paul says, It is 
For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Through love serve one another. And now, because in Christ we know this, we are a new creation, a new type of humanity. We are equipped through the Holy Spirit to now follow God's command, not to earn a right standing before God, but as a response in love for what God has accomplished for us in the person and work of Jesus. There's a pastor I actually uh, follow um, in Twitter. I like Twitter. And uh, his name is John Moffitt, and he says this, Guilt-motivated obedience produces self-righteousness, pride, and judgmentalism. In other words, legalism. But gospel-motivated obedience produces humility, faithfulness, and patience. And I know we're going to dive further into the fruit of the Spirit later on, but it's important to talk about these things. You see, we are free from the slavery of the law, and we are free to love God and to serve one another. And just in case, just in case, I mean, if you're like me, I'm a forgetful guy. You can ask my wife. Forget a lot of things. If you forgot who you are in Christ, here's a little reminder. We are alive with Christ, Ephesians 2, 5. We are free from the law of sin and death, Romans 8, 2. We are chosen by God who called me out of darkness of sin and into the light, 1 Peter 2, 9. We are adopted, 1 John 3, 1, 2 and Romans 8, 15. We are chosen and loved, Ephesians 1, 4. We are known, predestined to be conforming to the image of Christ, Romans 8, 29. We are called, we are justified, and we will be glorified, Romans 8, 30. We are redeemed, Galatians 3, 13. And we are cared for, 1 Peter 5, 7. So to conclude, friends, the reality is this. Daily, we will face an either-or decision. We can stand on the real gospel freedom, or we can submit back to the yoke of slavery. Tim Keller, <laughs> one of my favorite authors and uh, preachers, <clears throat> asked this question to the Galatians. Will they make Christ their treasure in whom they find their forgiveness and fulfillment? Or will they look to the law-keeping, to circumcision, for right standing? And for us, I beg that you would consider this question. Will we make Christ our treasure and be free to become who we already are in Christ? Or will we look to law-keeping and self-righteousness? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning we recognize that there is nothing left for us to do to earn a right standing with you. And because of that, we bring you all the... 
praise and all the honor because we know that Christ has reconciled us to you and to one another. And Father, I pray that your spirit would continue uh, to shape us into the image of Jesus, that your spirit would help us to live into the reality that we can be who we are in Christ because we're free. Father, we love you, and we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.